Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Making our way through this first week of March, coming up on our program today, we're going to take a look at a problem out on the West Coast. We have congestion, vessel congestion at West Coast ports, especially at the Los Angeles Long Beach port complex. And that has really started to disrupt uh, the meat supply chain and impacting other areas of agriculture as well. We'll talk about it with Travis Arp with the U.S. Meat Export Federation coming up on today's program. Also, we're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. Get his thoughts on where we're at. Look ahead to some uh, big reports coming up soon from USDA and uh, his thoughts as we head towards planting time. But let's start things off with our conversation with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. We talk with Jerry each week from our nation's capital. Jerry, how are things in Washington, D.C.? Well, I would say things are looking good. Uh, it's a bright, sunny day here, and uh, we have an agriculture secretary in place, and I would say we're sort of in a period of normalcy. He is kind of, um, he's starting to talk to farm groups virtually. Uh, he's also started kind of lay out his uh, priority list for things he wants to get done. Uh, yes, um, I would say that there are three things. The first one is climate change and the whole question of how you go about developing a, uh, a carbon market. Uh, he has said that there are a lot of open questions about this. Uh, the second is, is dealing with the department's longtime history of racial discrimination. And the third, I would say, is his shifting discussion uh, from using the term uh, food security to nutri nutrition security, which means that, that Vilsack wants to help uh, Americans eat healthier than they have in the past. Let's talk about uh, carbon markets, carbon banks, carbon sequestration. We're going to talk a lot about carbon, it would seem, uh, in the uh, days ahead. Uh, how do you see this developing, Jerry? I mean, are they open to a lot of ideas, or do they have some ideas already in mind of what, what direction they want to go with this? Well, they have some ideas in mind, but I think they are open to, to new ideas because the, the ultimate point of this is to reduce uh, agricultural greenhouse gas emissions. And whether you can do that with carbon sequestration in all parts of the country is a question because of the differences in the weather, the differences in the soil. Uh, you know, there's been talk that you could use cover crops in some places, but you won't want to use them in low uh, moisture areas because those areas need the moisture for the main crop. Uh, and uh, how you set up this bank how, I mean, how you determine how much carbon the farmers are sequestering. And then I would say, finally, what exactly is the market going to be for these carbon credits if they're going to get credit for it? Uh, but, you know, there are so many unanswered questions there. Um, and then I would add to this, the Republicans in Congress are concerned that if you start spending money on this project, it might take away from traditional farm subsidies. 
So we have a lot of questions uh, going forward here before anything real is developed. Yeah, they're going to have to make the case to farmers that uh, there are real opportunities here for them, right? I mean, uh, we talk about some of the practices already in place that they should get the credit for, some things they can do in addition moving forward. But to what are the real uh, opportunities for them. We've seen this attempted in the past, didn't work out so well, so hopefully they can learn from the uh, mistakes uh, of the past and make it work this time. Well, indeed, it didn't. It hasn't worked very well, and farmers are quite suspicious about this. Uh, the, uh, as far as I can tell, all the major farm groups uh, have joined into this, uh, to this effort so that they will be at the table rather than on the table, as they say. Uh, but when I see the Republicans uh, kind of raising their eyebrows about this, uh, it makes me wonder whether the, uh, whether the Republicans are thinking about the farmers not being as enthusiastic as the farm leaders about it. But the important thing to remember in there is that the Biden administration is going to move ahead with a climate change agenda, and it's going to affect agriculture. So even if farmers don't like the idea, they're going to have to be part of this uh, policy development. Well, I think that's why you see, as you mentioned, the farm groups all in on this to, to weigh in on it and get their thoughts in it. But I think uh, they can also understand the skepticism that some farmers have that have maybe kind of been burnt on this before. So uh, they want to see uh, how this proceeds. So I think that's going to be a key story uh, moving forward. Uh, also going to be interesting to see what happens with this uh, stimulus package or whatever they're going to call it uh, in the in congress uh it's over in the senate now and they're starting to make some cuts and uh, and decisions where do you think agriculture is going to fare in this well i think there'll be the same provisions that were in the that that were in the house bill um there will there will be uh um some some uh there'll be there'll be money to improve the supply chain and to provide some Personal protective equipment in the in meatpacking plants and pro- food processing. Uh, there will there will be the the money for debt relief for minority farmers, uh, and then half of the uh, uh, money is going for increased uh, food stamp uh, uh, benefits, another a 15% increase. Uh, and I think on that point, it is it is important to remember that farmers ultimately benefit from the food stamp expenditures because it gives low-income people more purchasing power in the grocery stores. And Tom Vilsack has said he wants to look at uh, uh, some concerns that have been raised over how CFAP money has gone out and been used in the past, and he's they're taking a look at that. Yes, I was very interested in his speech to the National Farmers Union the other day. He doesn't give any timeline on when they're actually going to release that last uh, part of, of uh, CPAP money. Uh, the, that's the section that the Trump administration was working on when, uh, when Trump left office. Uh, and, and under uh, uh, federal rules, the, the Biden administration is allowed to uh, review that, and that's what they are doing. And he's saying that whatever they do, the rules will be fairer, and that uh, they're continuing to accept applications under the CFAP rules that have been put out there, and that after they do make a decision, farmers will have another 30 days to apply under the new rules. So people who haven't been able to qualify until then will be able to apply at that time.
All right, we'll stay tuned and get the latest details on that. Jerry, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right, I look forward to uh, talking to you and your and your listeners again. Yep, we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report, joining us from Washington, D.C. All right, up next, congestion at West Coast ports. What's causing it? What is the impact for the meat industry as far as our exports are concerned, but all of agriculture really impacted by uh, these uh, issues out on the West Coast. That Those are key ports in moving our products overseas. We'll get the very latest coming up from the U.S. Meat Export Federation next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. 
For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Vessel congestion at West Coast ports is seemingly getting uh, worse and impacting our ability to export products through those ports, very key ports. Let's talk about it with Travis Arp, Senior Director of Export Services and Access for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Travis, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this situation. What, what's causing this congestion? Yeah, good morning, and uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, the issue at the the West Coast ports, I would say, is one that's been getting more complicated over the last couple months, and there's a, a few different factors that lead to that. Uh, first and foremost, you've got uh, the pandemic-related issues uh, with labor and limited availability of, of longshoremen to get those boats turned around, offloaded, and reloaded with U.S. exports. And so that's really created a bit of a, a backlog and, and congestion to where containers that are coming in, uh, particularly agriculture goods that be coming in by rail from the Midwest, uh, don't necessarily have a vessel to get on when they arrive at the port. And so they're having to sit there and, and wait for the opportunity to get loaded and, and put on a boat to be exported uh, to some of these key Asian markets. The other uh, aspect of that is uh, with a lot of demand in the United States for consumer goods for, uh, that would be coming in imported from Asia, uh, there's some pretty big disparities in the freight rates for containers uh, that would be uh, coming from Asia into the United States to where those Asian shippers are paying significantly more than the United States. So there's a, really a, a, a uh, impetus for the, the carriers, the shipping lines, to actually load up empty containers and send those back to Asia after they've been offloaded in the United States. And so that's limited the availability of containers. It's limited availability of space on these vessels. Uh, and has really just kind of created a, a really difficult issue for uh, ag exporters out of the United States. So how much is it slowing things down now as far as our ability to export out of those ports? Well, we've talked to uh, a lot of companies that are members of, of USMEF and agriculture exporters, and, and they said that uh, on average, a container could get to a terminal on the West Coast and sit there for 10 days to two weeks on average. But we've heard instances of, of containers that have arrived and have had to wait one or two months even uh, before they can get loaded on a container. And as those, those containers continue to back up, uh, there's just uh, not even that much available space to to start to hold these containers as they wait for ships. And, and the, the backup has just kind of continued to build and build over uh, the first couple months of 2021 to where those waits are seemingly getting longer every day. Yeah, so you build up a backlog, and as you said, you run out of space to put anything, waiting to get on a vessel. All right, so uh, what's the solution? How, how do you How do we resolve this? Well, that's uh, that's the million dollar question. Uh, we, you know, there's there's a couple aspects of it. Is is one is you know since a lot of this is pandemic related, as uh, as you know people continue to get vaccinated, as as longshoremen 
um, the labor situation kind of stabilizes, that will help get those ships turned over more quickly uh, to where, you know, we can start to clear some of that backlog. You know, the other aspect of it is is getting these carriers to uh, play ball, if you will, with with uh, U.S. exporters a little bit better is is resolving the issue of them hauling these empty containers back to Asia, and instead loading up you know valuable U.S. exported goods um, to where that's just not to to where that issue isn't one that is is holding up containers um, and and really. Uh, that's a, a difficult situation. We're trying to create some awareness within uh, USDA, the Federal Maritime Commission, other government agencies, uh, so they can work with these carriers and help them uh, be a little bit more mindful to uh, these U.S. exporters and what they have been. We're talking with Travis Arp with U.S. Meat Export Federation. Sounds like those channels though, can and take some time. So in the meantime, uh, the, the problem persists and perhaps even gets worse. Uh, are we seeing a, a big increase in uh, traffic from Asia uh, product coming into the U.S.? Yeah, over uh, uh, the course of, I guess, the latter half of, of 2020 and into the first couple months of 2021, uh, you know, with, with people staying at home, doing a lot of online shopping, a tremendous amount of, of demand in the United States for, uh, like I said, a lot of these consumer goods, whether it's electronics, household items, I mean, a lot of that is, is manufactured in Asia and shipped into the United States. And, and so with that high demand, uh, you know, that product has just really been uh, flowing into the United States. Uh, but it's, it's tough when you can't get that, uh, that kind of two-way traffic, if you will, on the vessels for U.S. Uh, US ag exports going out and these consumer uh, goods getting uh, imported into the United States. And so uh, that's really kind of ramped up over the course of, I would say, probably the last uh, 9 to 12 months. Obviously, this has a lot of impact throughout agriculture, but let's look at it from the meat uh, standpoint that you uh, uh, deal with. Uh, What are we seeing as far as the meat supply chain? Uh, What's the impact so far been? Well, if you if you look back at historical numbers in 2020, we exported over four billion dollars of U.S. beef and uh, almost three billion dollars of U.S. pork just through those West Coast ports alone, like Los Angeles, Long Beach, Oakland, uh, Seattle, Tacoma. So uh, those are really critical uh, avenues to get U.S. beef and pork uh, out of the United States and into key markets like Japan, Korea, China, um, Southeast Asian markets. Uh, Those are some of the biggest markets we export to. And so uh, as we are trying to kind of project this out over 2021, if if that backlog uh, gets gets worse or, or does not really clear up, uh, you know, there's over $7 billion of U.S. red meat exports at stake, not to mention all of the other, um, you know, commodities uh, from an agriculture standpoint that get exported through those terminals. It's a reminder, I think, to us that we tend to take this infrastructure for granted sometimes. We talk so much about trade and trade deals and market access, all important, certainly. But you still have to be able to deliver the product once you make those sales. And when things like this happen, it makes it difficult. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, you know, we're looking at this or, or discussing it just from the port standpoint. But as that whole logistics pipeline starts to back up, 
you have delays on getting product out of the country, you have issues on getting, uh, you know, product that would be produced in the Midwest, put on a rail car and sent to the West Coast. As that gets backed up, you know, we're looking at this more long term. And, and as, as that issue continues to compound on itself, you know, we could have packers that start kind of relooking at, at uh, if they can't get that product out to these export markets, maybe they have to adjust their kills. Uh, that starts, you know, affecting the live animal side of things. And so this can really back up through the entire supply chain, which is why it's really critical that uh, these West Coast ports um, start to, to work a little bit smoother and, and more efficiently on getting this product out of the country. Yeah, there's a lot at stake here. But it sounds like, I mean, it's not going to be resolved overnight, right? It's going to take some time as, as the backlog builds. Absolutely. This is this is not something that we can expect a resolution to in, in, the, in the days or the weeks to come. Uh, I mean, it's it's really a, an entire um, logistics supply chain issue uh, through those those terminals. And, and there's a lot of moving parts to it. Uh, but we're hoping that, again, as the, as the pandemic issues uh, start to sort themselves out, as the labor situation stabilizes, and hopefully if these vessels uh, can be a little bit more cooperative with U.S. exporters, then um, as we get into uh, the middle part of 2021, hopefully we'll start to see a, a smoothing out in the logistics pipeline. Yeah, it, 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 the way you described it, it sounds like it's like a – a full parking lot out there product being moved from across the country to the west coast especially say from the midwest you move it out to the west coast thinking it's going to ship out and it may just have to sit there a while it sounds like yeah there's uh, uh at these at these west coast terminals there's areas that are just stacked up with uh with dry and refrigerated containers uh we've heard some of these rail lines uh, that are bringing in ag commodities from the Midwest. Uh, those containers are backed up on the rail lines, not even able to find spots to, to put a container at the terminal to sit, let it sit and wait for a vessel. Uh, I, I think a parking lot is a pretty good description of, of kind of how that what, what those look like on the West Coast ports right now. Wow. We'll stay in touch, Travis. Hopefully we'll have some uh, uh, updates and improvements on this situation as we go along into here in 2021, hopefully. But thanks for bringing us up to date. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Travis Arp, U.S. Meat Export Federation Senior Director of Export Services and Access. All right. Up next, we're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Economist for Stone X. What does he see ahead for the markets? Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. 
own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Today, markets are all trading on a softer note. Soybean meal is posting a second day of its buy signal. Meal is the weakest component of the crop markets today. Worries about new cases of African swine fever and rumors of other porcelain viruses are holding back the demand for meal. Wheat was hit the hardest this week on the sell-off, but staged an impressive bounce on Tuesday, taking prices back over the green line, 20-day moving averages. On the board of trade the May Chicago wheat contract trading 15 cents lower at 651 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat marched down 11 at 616. Minneapolis spring wheat marched unchanged at 640 and a fraction. The May contract down 8 at 637 and a fraction. For corn the May contract down 9 and a fraction at 535 and 3 quarters. The July contract down 8 at 524 and 3 quarters. May soybeans trading 14 cents lower at 1398 and 3 quarters. The July contract down 15 and a fraction at 13.83 and three quarters. In cash cattle country, business is quiet again Wednesday morning, but as the day progresses, interest should improve, especially after the morning's online action. There has been a major packer bid of $180 in some eastern Nebraska feedlots. But other than that, bids remain elusive. Asking prices in the south are pinned at $116, and asking prices in the north are still unknown. On the Board of Trade, April live cattle trading 10 cents higher at 119.52. The June contract down 15 at 117.60. For feeders, the March contract up 27 at 136.80. The April contract up 45 at 140.92. For lean hogs, the April contract up 275 at 88.05. The May contract up a dollar 47 at 89.40. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, always good to talk with you. Interesting time now as we get closer to planting time. 
you know, we're still kind of guessing on acres and uh, just kind of wondering how things are playing out, watching uh, harvest, uh, soybean harvest in South America and corn planting in South America, keeping an eye on what China may or may not do. Uh, just kind of a, you know, interesting time here as we're in the month of March. It really is. Uh, we're kind of getting into the fun time of year when we've got a lot more fundamental stuff here in North America uh, that's easier for us to grasp here in, in the States because we can see it close hand. Um, a lot more to talk about, a lot more variability, a lot more active markets. Now, the active markets have been active through the winter, but mm-hmm. typically the markets are pretty quiet in the winter and, and then get more active in the spring. And I guess now we just continue with the activities. We're seeing these price swings from one day to the next. So the weather's always a big factor and it certainly is right now because you have weather in south america we're watching and dry weather concerns in the u.s we're watching yeah and and first of all south america as we look at it it, it's been very wet in uh really the northern portion of brazil soybean belt if you look at meta grasso and meta grasso by the way is 1.3 times the size of texas so it's massive. It's the largest producer of corn and soybeans in Brazil, but it's only a fraction of Brazil's total production. So it's been very wet there. It's been, very, it's been wet in other areas around Meta Grasso as well. Portions of northeast Meta Grasso have had over eight inches of rain just in the last week. And this wet pattern's been going now for much of the last month or so. Uh, and so it's really slowing the harvest. Uh, there's been pictures of quality problems in soybeans that have been making uh, the social media. And I've been getting a lot of questions about it. As I talked to our team in Brazil, talked to them yesterday about this, I said, yeah, there are some quality problems, but they're not widespread at this point. If the pattern continues, we could be looking at something more significant. But right now, our bigger concern is safrina corn planting. Safrina is the primary corn crop out of Brazil. It's planted behind the soybeans. Harvest the soybeans, follow the combine with a planter to plant the soy uh, to plant the corn. And the two biggest regions for production of safrina corn are Paraná and Mato Grosso. And the optimum window for planting the corn closes on February 26th and February 28th, respectively, for those two provinces. And we're obviously beyond that. And when I checked the data on Friday, it looked like we were going to be at about a third of Meta Grasso's crop not planted by the 28th of February. So that puts it at greater risk. Now, it'd be like planting corn in the Midwest in the month of June. Two years ago, we had a price incentive to keep planting and to plant late and hope for the best. And weather turned out almost perfect, and we had a good crop out of that. Meta Grasso, Paraná farmers are looking to do the same thing. Extremely high profit potential. They're planning on planting late. The question is, when will late be? Now, for us here in the States, the concern was that late corn would mean we'd need to have a, a late frost. In Meta Grasso, Paraná, the concern is, when will the dry season arrive? That typically arrives in mid to late April. It needs to arrive in mid to late May this year with when all the corn will finally get planted by looking at the forecast. Right now, forecasters have greater confidence that it may end in early April. If that happens, you could have a significantly short safrina crop. 
That's a big if yet, but that's the way things are leaning. In further south in Argentina, it's been dry for the past month. Temperatures were very mild until about a week or 10 days ago, and then they started to heat up as the soils dried out. The next week looks hot and dry, but after March 9th, it looks like the chances for rain are going to improve. Not drought-busting rains, but summertime pop-up thunderstorms to 60 to 70% coverage. So it looks like the pattern is going to change. Argentina right now is in a critical um, reproductive phase. So any rain now could still salvage some yield loss. There will be some loss. The question is how much and how much will be able to recover depending on when those rains come and what the coverage is like. Yeah, so a lot at play there, but as our producers can relate to from just a couple of years ago, when you get delayed like that, uh, you know, it reduces your margin for error, and a lot of things have to go right. So, And maybe they will, but we don't know. But if that safrina crop, you know, is not as good as uh, they're hoping for, uh, are we talking strength for the corn market then for our producers here later this year? Absolutely. That would directly impact an increased demand for U.S. corn to fill the gap because Brazil is a number two exporter of corn in the world behind the United States. So that would have a big impact. And Argentina comes in at, at three. Argentina and Ukraine kind of in there in a similar uh, position for exporting corn. And, and you also mentioned the U.S. Midwest. Well, it's still early, and I tend to be skeptical of Midwest drought forecasts in, in the month early in March. Uh, there is some increased concern for this coming summer. First of all, looking like we may lean wet for the spring. So I'm um, not saying we won't have the opportunity to plant, but those planting opportunities kind of in the core of the Midwest may be relatively tight windows that we'll have to take advantage of. There's still some doubt about the western Midwest where it's so dry because drought tends to beget drought. But then as we get into the summer, what we're watching is sea surface temperatures off the southwest coast of the United States. It's very difficult to have a drought unless those waters are cool to the southwest of the United States offshore. And earlier this year, the models were calling for those waters to remain warm, suggesting we should have a, a good summer in the Midwest. But then suddenly, several weeks ago, they started to cool rather quickly. Um, and now we've got the coldest temperatures that we've seen for this time of year in that area uh, since really 2013, 2012, 2011. 2013 was not a La Nina year, so we didn't see drought in the Midwest, but everybody remembers what we saw in 2012. I'm not forecasting a 2012 event at this point. There's a lot can still happen, but I say that it has forecasters more concern, and uh, two climatologists who I follow working for different firms, um, as I've talked to them, I've asked them, okay, what are the odds at now for summer drought in the Midwest? It's normally around 18% typically, and both of them now are above 60%. So it's something we'll have to watch. Wow, for sure. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. All right, Arlen, how tight could soybean, the soybean supply get this year? I mean, uh, and tell, kind of walk us through some of those scenarios. Yeah, if we look at soybeans that we have shipped, already out the door, you can't bring them back in. That exceeds the p seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target by about 80, 
excuse me, 320 million bushels. So we're really exporting soybeans at a much faster pace. Now, if you take a look at what has already been shipped, uh, we have already, USDA has already inspected 1.906 billion bushels of soybeans. Another 78 million bushels have gone out the door through December 31st that did not get inspected according to Census Bureau data. So if you look at what we need to ship the rest of the marketing year to hit USDA's targets, about 9.5 million bushels per week. If you look at the last half of the marketing year, March through August, over the last five years, we've shipped between 400 and 700 million bushels during that time period over that five-year span. If you use the lowest amount, which was the 400 million bushels, and add it to this year's March through August shipments through the rest of the marketing year, that would take us 134 million bushels above what USDA's current export target is and their current ending stocks estimate is 120 million bushels. The pipeline can't get that empty. It can't get much emptier than what it's currently pegged. So that would mean that we, the market needs to either ration de domestic demand this summer, meaning run out of supplies to crush in the Midwest, or imports or some combination. We know that some firms are already pricing out importing soy meal into Houston uh, and then railing it up into the southwestern Midwest. I anticipate we'll see a lot more discussion of that in the months ahead. Could be a wild year ahead, it sounds like. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and if you look at 90, my balance sheet, 90 and a half million acres, USDA 90 million for this coming year, and we get a trend yield, we're still rationing soybeans a year from now. Well, the, uh, the uh, planning intentions report is going to be interesting, won't it? It really will be, not just the planning intentions report that comes out March 31st, but the quarterly stocks report, mm -hmm. because we're in territory now that any changes in the numbers have big price ramifications. Uh, and then you mentioned, you know, you bring up the, the production risks that we talk about in Argentina that are still ongoing, and then in the Midwest this summer. Um, the funds aren't going to give up on this soybean market anytime soon. Not saying that there won't be some big corrections, um, but th they're not about to go short this soybean market uh, with those fundamentals unless something not on the current radar currently were to develop. Fasten your seatbelts. It could be a wild ride this year. Arlen, thanks a lot. Always, uh, always appreciate your perspective and your information. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. 
She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently, on Adams on Agriculture, Allison Crittenden, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. What specifically would agriculture like to see done with the H-2A program? The first thing is making sure that the program is affordable for farmers to use. Um, in addition to having to pay the adverse effect wage rate, um, which you adjust, we just figured out the numbers for 2021. And on a national basis, they were gone up 4.5%. But in you know, some regions, that number has gone up you know, over 6%. So one, making sure the program's affordable, figuring out a wage methodology that still enables farmers to remain competitive and stay in business and continue to employ individuals. And also looking at, you know, ensuring that the H-J program is available for all kinds of agriculture. The program is limited to only seasonal and temporary work. So those in dairy or livestock or greenhouse industries, mushrooms, they're not able to use the program. 
For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. UPL is the fifth largest agricultural solutions company in the world. The UPL Open Ag Center opened in mid-2020 and is the global R&D hub for UPL. We're joined now by Adrian Percy. He is Chief Technology Officer for UPL, and he leads global R&D there, and also the Open Ag Center in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. Adrian, thank you for joining us here on AOA. For those uh, listeners maybe not familiar with UPL, tell us a little bit more about your company. Well, thanks, Mike, for the opportunity and greetings from down here in North Carolina. So, yeah, UPL, as you mentioned, is actually the fifth largest uh, agricultural solutions company. Uh, We uh, acquired that mantle recently when we uh, acquired Arista Life Sciences, which maybe some of your listeners are familiar with. But we are, uh, you know, a company that is able to do basic R&D. We have a large manufacturing base and we have, a, you know, a sales and marketing department. And we're very active here in the U.S., but actually we have a global footprint. Maybe what distinguishes us a little bit from some of our competitors is our open ag philosophy, which is really a belief that, you know, the agriculture industry really needs to work together to solve some of the challenges that we we have, and so we actively collaborate with other companies, for instance, in the areas of new innovation, to bring those to the market. So that's a, something a little bit unique about us. Yeah, let's talk more about that, uh, the Open Ag Center in, in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. What makes the Open Ag Center different from other research facilities? Yeah, well, there's a fundamental difference. I mean, many research facilities are very much inward-looking, you know, working on company-derived discoveries, whereas, you know, we don't do that. We're actually completely dependent on um, collaborating with external innovators, and a lot of the types of companies that we're working with are kind of young startups in the ag tech space, so companies that perhaps only have a a few or a limited number of people in them, but are looking for a partner of the size of UPL to help them get out to the market. So our open ag center is really a a globally facing hub where we're working with these entrepreneurs and innovators in these small companies and testing out their technologies and then helping them, you know, developing them for the market. Yeah, research, development, and then bringing them to the market. So how is UPL positioned to bring some of these new technologies you're working on to the marketplace? Yeah, so I mean, as I said, I mean, we've got a very broad, you know, marketing and sales uh, and technical service group, you know, across the US, but also in other countries. But I think what, um, you know, what is really nice is with our open ag approach, we can 
you know, start to find win-win partnerships, you know, with these smaller companies of which there are literally thousands right now, which have emerged over the past few years, all of whom are, are driven by, you know, venture capital investment and a belief that more innovation is needed in agriculture. So we're working with these companies, we find a win-win solution with them, and then obviously look to bring, you know, products to the marketplace, which, you know, have real value for growers. We always like to look into the future, look into that pipeline. Can you tell us what are some of the innovations being that you're focusing on at the Open Ag Center? Yeah, so it's really broad, Mike. And, you know, we look at a lot of chemistry, um, you know, that's coming from, you know, various outlets and, you know, particularly chemistry, for instance, that helps us with resistant busting, you know, whether they're herbicides, chemi- uh, fungicides or insecticides. We're also very interested in new biological solutions, which can help growers with, you know, sustainable farming practices. So things like microbes or biochemicals, which um, may have an easier pathway through through the regulatory authorities and also meet, you know, some of the demands that we have, for instance, for producing chemical residue-free food. Uh, and then we're also looking at, uh, you know, things like soil health. I mean, there's a, a great deal of interest in that particular space and developing, you know, new biostimulants and these types of products. So it's a real broad range of, of different activities that we have going on there. You recently hosted a panel discussion called Breaking Down Barriers. That was a session on emerging technology and innovation. Uh, you were talking with four leading ag entrepreneurs. Uh what did you take away from that conversation uh, that uh, would help us kind of see what might be coming in the future? Yeah, I mean, first of all, as I said before, there's tremendous interest from the venture capital um, sector in ag tech. And, uh, you know, last year there was over $3 billion of investment in early stage companies. And this is kind of feeding, you know, well over a thousand, if not several thousand young companies and uh, they're working in all different types of areas so you know on our panel we had a representative from the chemical uh, side of things from the biological but also from the uh, precision ag side so we had a real broad range of, of different technologies represented and also a venture capitalist who was really talking about you know why this sector has become so appealing for venture capital and a part of that is you know a belief of you know consumer driven um, trends that we're seeing, you know, in our supermarkets of, you know, design, desire for more sustainability practices, these types of things, which has really encouraged these uh, very large firms to put up a lot of capital and invest those uh, in new technology, which, you know, we hope will come to the farm within the next few years. So I think it's going to be a really exciting time to see, you know, these new technologies combined with what the big companies are also, you know, uh, developing at the same time. Real quick, what are two innovations on the horizon that you see could really transform the way we're farming? Well, I think I think in the precision ag area, I mean, it's so exciting to see some of the opportunities that we have with um, grain, gaining, you know, new insights into how crops are, are grown, how they're thriving, you know, high imaging uh, systems, you know, using drones or flyovers that really give insights that we've never had before. You know, when you combine those data with, um, you know, infield sensors or satellite data, you know, we're getting, we're getting, you know, insights that, that growers have never had, you know, in the past. And I think another area is the biological space. So there's a lot of interest in this. And, you know, it's gone beyond now, um, you know, microbes, which perhaps help, you know, with yield increases to actual biologicals, which can even replace chemistry and be as effective as chemistry in some cases.
Yep, very interesting. Adrian Percy, Chief Technology Officer for UPL. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.